You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we're sitting down with someone who is doing the most important work in the world of antiques. Today we're sitting down with Kevin Jones of Black Teaking. Hi, Kevin. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Welcome. We're so happy to have you on the show. I can't remember when I stumbled across your Instagram. It came up on like uh, my suggested explore page. And I was like, what is this? And I started to look at it. And then I just was like in love with what you were doing. And so thank you so much for sitting down with us today to talk about all that. I'm so excited. Well, thank you for being interested. And, you know, sometimes people just close the door immediately when they see some of the items, regardless of race. so mm-hmm. I'm excited when these when there's an opportunity to have a dialogue about the collection or just about collecting. Like I, I'm, I love mm-hmm. collecting. So yeah, let's talk about you growing up. You grew up in Detroit, right? So actually, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, which is about um, about 90 minutes north of Detroit. Uh, so around um, 13, 14, my parents divorced, um, and then that's when we, you know, me, my twin brother, my older sister. Um, my grandmother and my mom, um, and my, now my stepdad, we all, you know, moved to Detroit. (laughs) Um, So finished middle school or junior high school in Detroit. I'm also attended high school in Detroit. Um, I have a lot, you know, I have a love for Detroit. Um, hopefully by the time this podcast airs, I'll have a new purchase, uh, of a home, uh, or a second home Mm. for my mom back in Detroit. So I'm excited. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. The best boy. I know. (laughs) My family's from Detroit, but originally from Sweden, but they settled in Michigan and Detroit and stuff like that. So, and Jill is, Jill has twins. Twin. I do. Two twinnies. Boy and a girl, 14 years old. Twin power. I know. Twin power. Gosh, they, do you have that secret language with your twin where you can just like look at each other and know exactly what you're thinking? Yeah. Yes. I think we have that. You know, I think someone has been from being around each other and just having learned to pick up on cues and just, you know, all the other mysticism of being a twin. So yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My kids, when they were babies, they had their own little language and they'd have an evil laugh that would follow their conversation. So I knew something bad was about to happen. So I would just like lock eyes on them and they were just like, it. you're not moving from this spot. I'm sure the secret language are like, how does she know? Yeah, yeah, she? I know. They always are like, how do you know what we're doing? And I'm like, you think you're whispering, but you're not. You're talking very loud. You're very loud. <laughs> you're very loud. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, when I heard you were a twin, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just the baby, but you I always wanted a twin for the twin superpowers, but then I'm glad I didn't have anybody else to fight with. So I think we can only handle one Sam in this the world. This is very true. <laughs> so your grandmother, Lula Bell Hardy, was influential in your collecting. What was she like as a person? What did she collect? Oh, she was an amazing woman. Um, she, her, um, her skin complexion was darker than mine. She's probably at the time probably one of the most, the darkest women that I knew. And it was just beautiful. Um, she was a strong woman, very outspoken. Um, she was a woman of faith, um, but she also gave the best parties and had the best alcohol <laughs> and the best fried chicken. Um, she, w- she was a 
she was a connector. She was a bridge builder. Mm -hmm. She, um, despite, you know, growing up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, where she was born and, you know, raised, um, and having traveled the country, you know, in the forties and fifties working as a domestic, um, Mm -hmm. also working in, you know, some of the war relief around, had many great experiences, but also those horrible experiences of, you know, working with, you know, white soldiers who mm-hmm. just wanted to provide care were very racist and, you know, mm-hmm. said very um, horrible things about because she was a black, because she was black and or a woman. Um, but she was also an encourager. She always encouraged everyone that she came in contact with as long as they didn't, you know, negatively cross her path. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she also, she wanted, I think wanted to instill in us and particularly uh, me and my siblings, um, just a good sense of self-identity. Uh, I think she understood how some, how important it was for us as, you know, Black Americans to have mm-hmm. a strong sense of ourselves. And so, you know, that kind of results in the types of things that she collected, you know, and, and she wasn't, so she, you know, she, she was both a, a collector of historical items, but also a collector of contemporary items, which I'm so grateful for. So anytime anything happened with black people, you know, my grandmother would cut the article out of the newspaper or, you know, have the magazine. And so we had all the jet magazines, all the ebony magazines um, displayed. You know, we were a family um, that had various versions of the encyclopedia. So whether or not they were the, you know, Britannica or even the black encyclopedia so that, you know, ebony and Johnson and Johnson Pub- or Johnson publishing company, rather they, um, I think they had a 68, 60, 67, 68, 69 editions of like a black encyclopedia edition. Um, oh, that's cool. And often we got in trouble. We often have to like, you know, read the encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she had other things. She had things that were from where she was from, you know. And so there was the the old trunk in the basement that, you know, my um, great grandmother, her mother, Annabelle, brought from Tuscaloosa to Gary that my grandmother carried from Gary to, you know, to Saginaw, eventually to Detroit that contained wow. the quilts that, um, my great grandmother, Annabelle Silly had made. Um, right now there are about 11 that are hanging in an exhibit here in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh-huh. Um, she had, you know, clothing because, you know, they were coming from the warms, the, you know, the, the warm parts of the country in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just a place of storing the winter coats when they had, had to have them. Um, there were mag, you know, there were there's different paperwork. So whether or not it was, you know, discharge, you know, military discharge papers or marriage licenses from just various periods of time. Um, mm-hmm. She had um, my great grandmother Annabelle, you know, Lula Bell, my grandmother's mother, um, collected coins. So she had coins as well as other, you know, other money um, that that was just interesting <laughs> things to collect. And so. You know, some of the things I, I when I look back at the collection, I, I wonder what it was about. Uh, what mm. was just like, we're going to say these memories or, you know, this intentional act of collecting. Regardless, mm-hmm. you know, I'm happy that they were in the mindset of preserving. You know, I'm also excited mm-hmm. with my mom's Dow collection. Um, and so there were like at least eight Dow's there. Um, and right now, you know, I have I have those Dow's. Um, only one of them were a black Dow that my mom had. But so I purchased wow. those Dow's as well. I love that it was such a broad collection of not only historically important and significant documents, right? Keeping things like that and the records of those things, but also down to like interesting little textiles and trinkets and things that were just joyful 
to collect. Yeah. And the fact, and uh, the fact that that trunk made it so far with all of the things and the quilts especially is wonderful. Because they're from the 1800s, correct? No. So those are probably um, from the early 19, probably um, 1920s and 1940s when when Annabelle started creating those. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I eventually, I once took them to a fabric historian just to start trying to do some preservation work on some of the quilts. And so still going through the process of trying to date some of them, but I think that's probably Mm -hmm. the appropriate time span for those quilts. And they're beautiful. They're so beautiful. So that, I mean, it sounds like your dear grandmother. Yeah. She was like, let's instill this oneness, selfness with these kids. And also that rich family history, obviously, which is important. And then to go from, and you started collecting at a young age, right? Well, I, 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 Young is relative. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I actively collected. I I like to think alongside my grandmother. So I was always that fan of clipping out the articles and in those um, those moments, you know, trying to save those things that brought me joy as a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even now to this day, trying to replace some of those items. You know, we grew up collecting baseball cards and other sports trading cards as well. had an older, my older brother, um, who loved, you know, trains and locomotives. So, you know, you know, at one point there were those items still available. Um, but I really took, um, heart to collecting, you know, black Americana and black historical items probably when I was around 19 or 20, um, Mm. you know, being at the university of Michigan for undergraduate studies, um, came in contact with just a number of different things. So celebrations of just, um, activism in black art Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and, and being in different social movements and seeing the different artifacts of those movements, those things really, um, were a part of my interest. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then also think back to my earlier days of just loving history in school and loving ancient history and, and wanting to be an archeologist and fall in love with movies like Indiana Jones. And, mm-hmm. you know, even to this day, any of those types of movies, um, you know, I'm always, um, intrigued by, you know, just these urban tales or these tales of, of discovering treasures and discovering history. And so I, I, I think of the collections as being a part of that, but also being a part of that lineage of stewards who maintain those co- contemporary items for future generations. So if we don't collect now, what will people in the future have? Or, you know, when the, when the um, ancient Egyptians return, uh, you know, what will they find? So, right. They'd be yeah. like, who the hell dug up all of our bodies? What the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> Why? Uh, this house was fine. And then everybody came in and what ransacked it? Where right. the hell are all my cats? Right. What are you doing? Right. Yeah. Where's my pots of honey? Yeah. Saving those. Right. I knew I was going to wake up hungry and all my shit is gone. Right. It's like I had spice. Where are, where's my spice? <laughs> Who took it? <laughs> I got to start over. Can't find this anymore. Somebody better take me to the Egyptian version of Costco now. No. <laughs> I got shit to replace. It's where? You're telling me it's where? Right. It's in a, a museum. How did it end up there? Like, just <laughs> They put that behind glass? Funny. Funny. <laughs> it was trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what always drove me to uh, collecting at an early age was that same thing of listening to the elders in my life tell stories of people that I would never meet, never see their face, never hear their voice. And just be like, wow, it was like that. And so when my grandmother passed away and we were going through their house, 
those were the things that I was keeping was like my grandfather's military papers, marriage certificates. Um, I found a citizenship certificate from one of my family members. And like my mom's like, why are you keeping that? And I was like, this is the good stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the stuff that tells people 20, 30 years from now what was happening when, you know, their family was living their lives. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, I think about for, um, I'm always attracted to historical documents because, you know, my lineage as, you know, a black person and here in America and as far back as we can trace, you know, families enslaved here, you know, in the United States and, um, and, and the Caribbean, um, very likely, but just thinking about how records were maintained. Um, Mm -hmm. and even just, you know, my family being from, from Alabama, knowing that at a period of time, there was a fire in the courthouse, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, destroying (laughs) all the, so being able to maintain those things that even my family were able to maintain versus, you know, knowing that there's a gap in the record for a number of different reasons also because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're maintaining this property at one time, but, um, you know, yeah. And yeah, there was no, uh, records kept for that. Yeah. You know, the records that somebody as a family could look back on and tell important things about. Yeah. With a hundred percent confidence, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. with, with the identifier or some, some additional sense of humanity, um, mm-hmm. records and so to have those items there's a um it's probably the most beautiful um marriage certificate and i and i mean i have not looked at a lot of marriage certificates but you know um when my great-grandmother remarried um you know she remarried in mississippi and it's just the colors of this marriage certificate and just how decorative it is and mm. you know it's like this shouldn't just be folded up and put in this Bible. <laughs> like this needs to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> this needs to be displayed, yeah. you know, from it's almost, mm-hmm. you know, almost a hundred years old. And, you know, this, you yeah, know. they don't make them like that oh. anymore. <laughs> yeah. I have two baptism certificates from my great grandparents that are the same. Like they're just embossed and they have gold leaf and, you know, so significant to what the event was. And they're so big too. Huge. One of them's like, uh, legal size almost. Yeah. That's, that's my, that's the, the marriage certificate. It's legal size. And it's like, wow. I guess you have a lot of paper, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm like, you, you know, where they, some of it was machine, but most of it was finished by hand. I'm sure. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 Which is like, we're so lame now. We don't do anything cool like that. I know. No, I look at my kids is cause I've got my kids is baptism and it's like a, I swear it's like a three by five card, like, <laughs> like a postcard baptized by Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's nothing like seeing yours compared to my kids. It's like, oh, they're going to look at this and be like, this is the lamest piece of paper mm-hmm. ever. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It was significant events, right? Deserves significant paper, apparently. Mm-hmm. I think especially, yeah, be. I think, you know, I, I think especially for black people and just a lot and other populations here in the United States, especially just as uh, folks early, you know, early settlers and, um, but just thinking about as a black person to see those names in those records and just knowing like, you know, less than 50 years, they weren't able to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was illegal for them to get married. In fact, they were forced to get married sometimes and just to have that choice um, mm-hmm. and to have that choice document in a particular way. And so, you know, I, you know, we, you know, it's, when I think about just my own activism, you know, it's, that was part of the, the, the historical stories that fed by act, activism around marriage equality or, you know, mm-hmm. just 
other types of, you know, social justice movements just thinking like there are people that would deny these rights that we now take for granted. And how do we expand this and continue to expand this? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, put it into perspective uh, to people that uh, because of their race, like if they're white, like me, especially a white woman, get to be ignorant for a really long time or play at that ignorance of thinking that everything is equal, right? And seeing those things and hearing those numbers and knowing the way things have been whitewashed makes you go like, oh, shit. Yeah. 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 Which makes the significance of the items that you collect, I mean, that much more, right? And um, your activism started in college, like heavily. Like you staged like a sit-in, like a 37-day sit-in you know, at your I, university, right? I was a part of a 37-day sit-in. Uh, I'm giving you all the credit. That's what it is. <laughs> no, no, it was a, a group of committed students at the University of Michigan. We formed under the name of the Students of Color Coalition, um, which kind of carried the activism legacies of just previous generations of students. Um, But on one particular issue at the University of Michigan, um, there was a group um, formed in the early 1900s, you know, in which they um, made fun and um, mocked Native American traditions, uh, came up with their their pseudo Native American name. The university preserved them, gave them space. President Henry Ford was a part of this group as well as a lot of other, um, you know, Michigan folks. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we saw an opportunity to, um, you know, as a coalition to, to shine a light on just, you know, just some of the discrepancies, some of the contradictions between the university's push for diversity and equity, particularly at a time when they were also fighting or not fighting the affirmative action lawsuits, mm-hmm. you know, at the, I guess heading to the Supreme Court at this point. Um, or actually being ruled at the Supreme Court at this point. But one of the things that was interesting that I, I love, and I think is really connected to my active, to my, um, to collecting as activism or preserving mm-hmm. and exhibiting as activism was, was part of that, um, that occupation at the University of Michigan at the, you know, in our student union and the third floor tower. Um, and we displayed, um, so when we got up there that Sunday, um, on February 8th, 2000, <laughs> we got there that <laughs> Sunday. One of the things that stood out was the way the room was decorated, you know, um, again, trying to make fun of and use Native American imagery that was painted in murals. Um, there was a wolf, a stuffed wolf over the, you know, over, you know, um, and, and, and a portion of the room. And there was just other depictions. Um, mm. There were other just items that Native American elders, you know, told us about how sacred they were and, and how we were able to repatriate those items, you know, to, um, you know, our our local um, communities here, um, you know, in the Great Lakes Bay region at the time. Mm. Um, We also, so many people had heard about this space. Many people heard, would hear, you know, over the years, um, you know, these quote unquote, um, these, it, this mockery of Native American chants on campus, the painting of a uh, tree red, and they would see these different things. Um, and, but they never were, no one had ever gone to this space on the third floor. Um, so we were able to also open access as we had the items, we were able to pull items out of closets and boxes of just like, this should not be here. Like this. To put it all on display. To put it on display. Um, and so it, was it closed on the campus? Like they were just like trying to just be like, this doesn't exist? Well, 
the university would claim they didn't know anything about it. But the great thing is that this group, they kept meticulous records. And when they met with university officials, when the university said, stop drinking here, you're not supposed to drink here. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to X, Y, and Z. And so their meeting minutes bit him in their ass. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause I didn't think anyone would, would, would be able to see that space. And so we kind of just put mm-hmm. everything out um, so that people could actually take it in, have more context for what these items were about, why it was inappropriate for one, a student group to have these items, but also for a university to allow a student group to make fun of other students and to behave in the way they did. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was just amazing to see just history professors and just, you know, um, you know, some of the other um, disciplines just bring students to come through or just have people in the community just say, we've heard about this. And we had long lines of people over those 37 days, um, you know, to really come like I, I like to say, come check out the space and check out the exhibit. And so that I like to yeah. say that was one of my first um, community curated exhibits, which is what I love to do when I'm displaying is bring communities together to define the collection um, as well as mm-hmm. uh, provide the context for what it means. And so that I like to say that that also that that form of activism and that day of activism gave birth to what I describe as this intentional act and the desire to collect, preserve, and exhibit you know, historical items. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I, that's incredible. First of all, the, um, the risk it takes not only at a university level to go through and just be like, now we're putting everything out there. Everybody's going to see it. And I love that that lit a fire inside of you for the activism in the sense of it creating curated exhibits that tell the actual story of everything and not what looks really great on paper. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's incredible. Just being able to control the control the messaging, control the messaging, um, and sometimes not even just about controlling. It's about helping other people to be able to tell those stories. Because um, I think there are a number of allies that can also serve as storytellers or the griots for these movements. Um, but sometimes we have to help people understand the story, train them on how to tell the story, give them room and opportunity as well as grace to be able to share those stories because they may get some of the details wrong. Um, and so I. I, I I try to bridge that through my work and some of that goes back also back to the University of Michigan. Um, I, I also did a lot of intergroup dialogue work and leading intergroup dialogues on campus. Um, and what I was, what always, I'm a visual learner. So, if, you know, it, it makes no sense to talk to me about this happened over here and this happened here without showing me a picture or showing me some details that I, I want to see. And so I always think about those conversations, particularly in some of our you know, black and white groups and just like, well, we don't have the artifacts. You know, if people saw these things, it's hard to dismiss them or dismiss that these things actually mm-hmm. existed or the or people had these experiences. Um, you know, before the word gaslighting, you know, there was a lot of that Michigan around, you know, who has a right to be here and whose stories are of value. And so when you have those artifacts, when you have the proof, it's hard for people to deny them. Though they'll still deny them and just say, oh, it's just a pretty ancient mama um, salt and pepper shaker that... I'm just trying to replicate my 1950s kitchen. And it's like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You, yeah. Okay. That, that's what you're doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had, yeah, we had that experience. We were going to interview somebody. We're setting up details. And she sent me an Instagram video of her favorite collection. And Jill and I were sitting on the couch upstairs and it she pans up and it's all like there was a aunt, a new Aunt Jemima syrup bottle, a uh, Mammy uh, coin bank, and then another coin bank, 
And then she pans up the wall and it's a chalkware depiction of a black child with watermelon pot holders hanging from it. I think I have that. <laughs> and I sent her a text back. I said, I'm interested to know what value you feel like this adds to your collection. And she instantly took the history route, right? Like, I, nobody's coming into your home to learn about these items from a historically accurate background other than you keeping them as some sort of weird win. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thanks for your interest, but no thank you. Yeah. 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 It, but, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I run into so many different people. Um, so, so my work in Black Teaking, um, which is a, twin, I, a coin I turn, a uh, term I coin? A coin a term? <laughs> it's a term I coin, I guess. Um, <laughs> but whatever. So I, I define Black Teaking as just my intentional act of collecting, preserving, and sharing um uh, black experiences based on the things I find in antique shops. Um, I spent a lot of time in antique shops um, looking for, um, you know, things that have the likeness of black people. And so, you know, and the thing about antique shops, those tend to be what some people collected and are will and either mm-hmm. are selling in the state sales, people have gathered and I think there's a, a um, an appetite for it. And so I, um, Coming to a number of people that talk about the the large collections they have, um, and some of the stories are you know they range from you know these are the items I had growing up. I love these items; these are the most favorite pieces. To you know, I'm trying to get rid of them because my sister had them; she passed, and I don't feel right having them. Um, I would say most of the stories are for people who have found some fascination in these items, and for me, it makes sense. These items were so widely available and so pervasive that when you flood a market with these sorts of items or these type, sorts of imageries, or to be more specific, these types of meanings or sub meanings about Black people, about Black race, about white supremacy, around, um, you know, and, and, and it, it keeps going about heteronormativity, about all these different things, these complex, complex layers of of just human interactions and social beings, you know, um, people can persuade themselves that these are just whimsical items, that these, this is just items that have no deeper meaning outside of mm-hmm. this is, this is early morning eating breakfast and seeing, Oh, you know, ain't your mama. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, now I will say this now, and this is where I've, recently have like, okay, now what's this about? What is this about? Now that a particular pancake company has changed their name, I don't think I'm interested in buying it because I don't like the way the the, the packaging looks. Mm. And I don't mm-hmm. know, it's probably the same content in the inside. Mm-hmm. But the thing, the other thing is complicated. Like, well, that's the, the, you went back to the original name that named this the offensive thing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm supposed to celebrate. It's like almost like someone inviting me back to a plant, back to a plantation. I'm supposed to celebrate. I think that's the other piece mm-hmm. about it. Um, that, I, that if I had to choose, I would rather. So, my, so I, you, if you may have to cut this. <laughs> no, it's okay. But as a black person, if I was, if I had to have a choice to go to the plantation, it would only be to go see the black people. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. buy pearl milling to celebrate a plantation, in my opinion. And that's, it's, so. It, so there is this kind of warped sense that I, I don't know what it is about these items. Um, I do think that I do know that part of my fascination with them is that my grandmother also had these items and the narratives that she had about them was were slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, not that 
these weren't racist items, but while we could um, take some celebratory, some celebration of them. So when we think about domestics, when we think about mammies, my grandmother, you know, would be considered, we considered a mammy. My mother as being a janitor in school, being considered domestic, um, but I'm in predominantly white schools, um, white, you know, secondary high schools and junior high schools. Um, and so I do think there is, for me, when I look at those items, you know, I do see a lineage of what, what many Black women had to go through um, to get the types of rewards, opportunities that we have now. When I look at a, um, when I look at that lineage and think about just what those struggles have been and then turn on my television last week to look at the confirmation of, um, you know, of, of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson and mm-hmm. to see the way, and no surprise, they're Southerners. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to talk about Southerners. My family's from the South. Uh, no, but to, to see it display, it's not surprising. It's upsetting to see it displayed so boldly. It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. But, mm-hmm. this, but for me, then to look at it, but also to say, this is the hair, this is the lineage, and this is why we can celebrate this moment. And this is why, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that Judge um, Jackson, uh, Judge Ron Jackson will preserve under these types of situations because Black people, and particularly Black women, um, have had to go through so much to get to those positions just to sit in a circle of mediocrity. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. You know, when they should be able to change that circle and, 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 and make it a box if they want, if that made the most sense, you know, they could figure that piece out. But, you know, so, so these items, I find them complicated. Um, I find a great love for them. When I'm stressed, I go to my antique shops and it's often, it's often a liberation journey. I'm going mm-hmm. to see which pieces I can liberate today. Um, and there's certain antique shops, you know, that I've developed relationships that they even call me. So there, that begins the other complicated piece of this, you know, it's like there's power in being able to spin and also power in not being able to spin. Um, so like there's a particular mm-hmm. cabinet that I bought enough out of that cabinet where I'm like, I'm not buying anything else out because they're price gouging. And I tell yeah, people yeah. like, you know, these are these, you know, why would you pay this much money for this? I mean, you can go to this place and find them. So I'm also trying to tell mm-hmm. people and direct them that if they're really trying to support causes, there's ways to do that um, through these pieces. You know, you can purchase them and donate them to museums. You can purchase them and donate mm-hmm. them to, um, you know, other types of institutions, um, including by Tiki. Um, but I do <laughs> encourage people not to do is to, to destroy them. Mm. So let's, I know. Let's talk about that because yeah. I—that's the murmur. It's either one side or the other yeah. in the community. Yeah. So for me, when I again, when I look at these items and I see, um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking behind me. I see this chalkware piece, you know, or, or even the mm-hmm. chalkware piece. Um, when, I, when I look at this piece, mm. you know, mm-hmm. this this plate, um, like she's almost my complexion. <laughs> so he's holding up a plate that's like a chalkware dish and a depiction of a black woman. She has a scarf around her hair. Yeah, yeah. and it's a caricature. It's, kind it's, of. it's a you know she ha- she has the um, she has the big you know the the in the the larger lips. Um, mm-hmm. She has um, almost a gold tooth. Um, you look at pictures of my grandmother. She's often gonna have a head wrap on like this. She had a gold tooth. So when I yeah <laughs> I can't throw this to the ground and destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
even as problematic as it is, and even though the creator, the creator probably was not even a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it, it's like, even though those can be, I can interpret those also as um, symbols of my oppression or symbols mm-hmm. that have oppressed people that look like me or uh, move, who move like me. There is something about the resemblance that to destroy that piece, I'm going to explain it in a couple of different ways. To destroy it symbolically for me is almost like trying to take an axe for a part of my history, trying to destroy a piece of my history. And not saying that, that I claim to um, the legacy of, um, um, of, of the racist legacy of, of what it meant to be in the United States as a Black person um, during the earliest times and even to this day. Um, but there was a lot of things that did come from that, um, from, from, from just the experiences that my family were able to instill in us in terms of values, um, in terms of self-love and self-pride. And again, especially being darker skinned, even black people, um, mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean to be of, dar- of a darker complexion? Um, I think the other challenge with destroying these items is it allows it easier to, um, erase this history. So mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies is Dirty Dan uh, Dirty Dancing and I <laughs> don't oh, no, not Dirty Dancing. Uh, which movie is it? Not Dirty Dancing. Um what is the movie where the where the town doesn't want Patrick Swayze to dance? Uh, oh, Footloose. Uh, Footloose. Footloose. And there's the um the town, the Bible thumping town and they all get outside mm-hmm. and yeah, burn yeah. the they burn they're going to burn the music. Mm-hmm. Mind you a lot of us black music. But anyhow, they're gonna get together. They're gonna burn the music. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I can imagine in today's stand- times there could be other people um, outside. You know, there will be other people, my people that might call themselves my allies. They'll be out there trying to destroy these items. And mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing is, both of those parties, in my opinion, are destroying history and making it easier to say that certain narratives existed versus you know that there were certain narratives that existed and certain ones that. Um, did not exist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, you know, I remember just, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm always paying attention to during war times is what's happening with the museums. Where are the, who's preserving the items? And so we, mm-hmm. right now we're hearing about in Ukraine, some of the steps that are being take, taken by some of the cultural workers to preserve the history. We know that when that history is destroyed, like we can erase narratives. We can say, we can say racism didn't exist. Maybe racism wasn't that bad. No, they didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't have these at the at the nickel and dime stores. Right. We didn't buy these items. Like this is so rare. Mm-hmm. And this is why this should be five hundred dollars. When in fact it should only be fifty dollars because there's so many out there. It's just that people mm-hmm. shame and shame people that have either destroyed them or they don't want to talk about them. Yeah. I had one fun, not funny, but I had a great conversation with a woman one early Saturday morning, and <laughs> she got my phone number, and you know she wanted to t- she wanted to tell me about her collection, and. Something in my spirit was like, okay, just entertain it because you did go out last night, but you know. <laughs> Don't <laughs> act like you did. <laughs> Right-eyed and bushy-tailed. Right. So just lay here mm-hmm. and enjoy the conversation. But she told me, and this, and this is the point that perked me up. She, was a, she said that her grandchildren didn't want to come visit her anymore because they said she was racist. So I'm like, whoo, well, let me sit up a little. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this. I'm awake. <laughs> Wait What's now. Up? Tell me what. <laughs> but she went on to tell me about, you know, that she has certain items out, you know, out on display, um, you know, dolls, cookie jars, posters, um, 
that her grandkids just said, this is racist. We're not coming. Like we we're taking a stance against grandma and we're not coming to visit you with those items on display. Um, so, you know, she agreed and, and, and she actually did. She sent me about three boxes of items. Um, I did, you know, but I did encourage her. I, I encouraged her to look through her collection. Um, and try to determine if every piece in her collection would be considered, you know, black memorabilia, racist items. Because I, I, I could, and I think there's, there's, there is that fine line that I want people to just to be able to. No, actually, I don't think it's a fine line. I think there's a very clear distinction between certain things, like pieces that are black celebratory versus pieces mm-hmm. that are like racist. And then, and then sometimes I'm like, and I've, and I have some white friends that are dear to me, but we've had conversations like. If you can't distinguish between the two, I'm gonna have to leave. Yeah, there's something that's like, and and, and I think I think some of it though, however, is for some white people, I think it might be easier to to take a blunt uh, to see what you want to see through the lens and what you want to see it. And I think about that Mm -hmm. through my own experience of privilege uh, of being a man, for example, and what that what that lens creates for me and how I miss so many different things when I'm not being intentional. Um, so I, and shame is a powerful driver of realizing our own missteps, right. And our own blind spots, uh, maybe having an inkling of, oh, maybe this is bad, but then you're like, oh, but I am good. I am great. I am doing all the right things. Yeah. And yeah, people don't want to be either called out or said like, yo, like that's super shitty. Like, yeah. Cause yeah. shame is such a, but it's not an excuse. I mean, yeah. it's, uh. Learning about things that you have nothing to do with should be a little bit painful for you. You know, I, I tell people that it's painful for me to see the items. It's painful, like, like I don't see these items and not get excited and joyful and, and mm-hmm. you know, want to invite you to have a beer with me. Like, I, you know, I, I might need a moment and in in, I'm an antique shop. Like, I may, it may take me a minute to go to the key holder and ask to, for them to unlock the key so I can get to this racist stuff and then go give you all my money as a black man to buy this racist stuff while you treat me like shit in your antique shop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. excuse my language. Um, yeah, yep. that's what the show's all about. But, you know, it's so, so, so these aren't easy items for me to collect. You know, they're my, I did a, I finally brought my entire collection together last year, which was about 2,500 pieces. Um, wow. And, I just needed I just needed my stuff with me because I spent a lot of time gathering these items. They were in different people's houses. And I was like, I just want it all mm-hmm. with me. And I set up this exhibit, had it open, you know, you know, mostly on the weekends, but I had hours for people to come see and just realizing like sitting amongst these items, 2,500 items uh, that are both celebratory around blackness, but also mm-hmm. just very horrible and vile and grotesque. Um, I had to take myself away from it. I, I didn't want to talk to white people. Um, mm-hmm. I had to go and understand like what what are these experiences that I'm having right now and how are they being interpreted differently based on having this history in my face and not having dealt mm-hmm. with some of my feelings about it or my family's experience with some of these items. Um so I so when people so when people tell me about they collect these items and they're not black. And they don't have the same, they're not dealing with any of the turmoil of me who's trying to be, you know, who's trying to preserve these items. Yeah, I, I do have questions. I, I ask yeah. about what it's about. Um, I'm a part of Facebook groups now, you know, after, um, you know, some of the, the online, you know, some of the online sites stopped selling these items, such as eBay. And, um, you know, folks have found new ways to, to, 
you know, to call their items different things so that they can still sell them. But a lot of people have, have, you know, gone over to Facebook. And initially, you know, I was like, okay, this is this is cool. This is a nice group of so 75 people that are talking about their collections and what they have and the history of them. And then it hit me. I'm like, I think these folks are just trying to create a marketplace. As you don't care anything about what's happening here. You know, the, anytime a black person says, well, so this is what typically happens. Um, a white poster will will post an item and say, this is my favorite item that I have. It brings me so much joy. In fact, I just named my dog Sambo. And then, a, <laughs> and then you know, a black person will say, what? Can you tell me why you named your dog Sambo? Or the black okay, person go gets, ahead and explain that for me. Uh, they get more, or, or even, even a white person might get it more explicit. But that seems very offensive. Why did you do it? They get back from the group. And I'm mm. like, this is ridiculous. Like, do you not understand the power dynamics that are happening here? That these mm-hmm. items that are being collected are also being a lens by which you are pushing through certain power dynamics and maintaining, a, you know. So that's, I, I tend to write about people who buy these items and, 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 and keep them for you know, their own deceive, you know, mischievous and deceptive reasons. And I think mm-hmm. some of the Facebook groups are like that. No, I've had- or somebody posts something to get that reaction. And then they're waiting for one person of color, whether they're black or uh, Hispanic or anything other, or to chime in and say it's okay. And then they're like, see, look, yeah. this yeah. is fine. Yeah. And it's just... It's yeah, it's like this. uh, And then, yeah, other people like you will come in and be like, yeah, you know what? This is actually here's the history of this item. Plainly, nothing behind it. No motive. And we'll just be attacked. Yep. And I tell people all the time, you know, as a black person in America, it's part of being black in America for me is being able to hold um, contradictions, to, to live with contradictions. And I think that's just a history for black people. You, you can't tell us that we're three fifths human. Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand, and, and then we we hear that message, and we can you know I'm not saying we 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 accept that message because we didn't accept it, we fought against that, mm-hmm. but have, have to hold that contradiction at the same time of fighting to prove your humanity, or mm-hmm. um, understanding that there's all these pushes for liberation and freedom, and all men are created equal, um, of being a black woman, and you know, and still fighting for. Um, suffrage and, and women's rights and saying, no, we can expand this idea of democracy. You know, I think that, and, you know, whether that's been a civil war or World War One or World War Two or whatever war, despite Black people not having freedoms here, we've always still went to fight on behalf of freedoms, um, at least in my family, um, yeah. even now. And so even with these items, I tell white people, you know, often it's white people, often it's white people that I'm talking to, that you can think this item is beautiful because I see some beauty in these items, but I also see it's racist as fuck. And I think you can admit it that this is racist and you are holding racist items. Mm-hmm. You're holding what you have in your collection is racist. It's racist, mm-hmm. it's racist, it's racist, it's racist, racist, it's racist. It's racist. It's racist. And, and if you missed that point, go ahead and push 15 seconds back, 15 seconds back and start it again and just keep replaying it. Maybe turn your speakers all the way up through your neighborhood and just let them know. It's racist. <laughs> no. mm-hmm. what is it kevin racist <laughs> oh okay and, and, and i think and so after the black person if i'm expected to hold these contradictions i think other people hold their contradictions you can and and it, and for me to hold that contradiction also means that i have to get counseling 
I have to find other ways to stay healthy. I have to keep my mm-hmm. together. I have to drink lots of water, keep the skin fresh. Like I got to do a <laughs> lot of different things. And I, I want people to do that work. If you're going to hold these mm-hmm. items and, and, and create monuments in your home, and I just said, you're not inviting people. You're not inviting the general public. You're, and I doubt you're having dinner parties to educate your friends as to why they should change because you're not even willing to change. And you're not inviting people that are going to disagree with you. You're, you're, you're kicking them out the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite uh, where we live is predominantly white. Um, and I was blind to it for a really long time. I grew up in a super small town. And then I worked for an international company and traveled and went, oh, shit, you are sheltered. And I was really fortunate. I went to beauty school at a university and got to practice hair on all types of hair, all hair, right? And um, I just remember thinking, like, why weren't these things told to me? And then it's revealed to you, right? Because people in your family are racist and ignorant or um, scared because they've never been around anybody that's different than them. And I remember, like, thinking behind the chair, I hear lots of things that... Um, I didn't realize were like microaggressions, right? Or just like under the rug racist things. And now I like, if somebody brings up something like that in my chair, I just open a dialogue with them, try to. And if they get combative, be like, listen, we're going to disagree on this, but like, this is something we have to talk about for you to be in my chair. Like, you're not just going to say things like this and think that this is the space for you to do that because it's not. And one of the things that comes up a lot is just... um the justification of or saying, well, I'm not because of. And I just wish more people would like Google is free. Like, and don't go to somebody else expecting them, meaning specifically a person of color, a woman of color, anything like that, to explain this to you. Yeah. It's yeah. it is not their job. They don't owe you shit. You don't have to like don't go to somebody and be like, can you tell me why this is hard? No. And that's a lot of people struggle with it. And I'll just remind people of it. And they'll just be like, well, I'm not that. I'm like, well, that statement says otherwise. Like, it's been um, interesting in that aspect of living somewhere that people don't think it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Did I say that right? I don't know. You have a different experience with than obviously me. I have the the most different removed experience of that than anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, I am half Hawaiian Filipino. And so I'm, you know. I'm tan, but uh, I didn't really growing up in the Air Force because you're such you're around such mixed cultures and races and all that, and it's like you don't see what other people see until you step out of it. And when we moved here, I didn't really think I was that brown until people like to point out like, where did I learn my English? How did I learn this culture so well? How did, you know, all these other things. And it was just like, oh, oh, I get it. I'm the different one. I understand now. And I get it. It's hard sometimes because I get it from both like the white um, people here and also the Hispanic culture. Because some, I mean, some days, you know, I do look like I'm also Hispanic. I had a gentleman, I'm a nurse. And so I was helping a patient. And I have two uh, nurses that speak Spanish. So they, I was just like, no, does he um, understand what I'm saying? Or should I have you guys, you know, make sure he's, you know, understanding. And my friend, she came in and she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, we explain and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, great. And I said, if you have any questions, just feel free to ask me. 
And I took him over to post op and he just stared me dead in the eye. And he's like, so you don't speak Spanish? Mm -hmm. You don't learn your language anymore? And I just looked at him. I'm like, well, I'm not Hispanic. I'm actually half Hawaiian Filipino. And he just gave me the look like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. That would be why you wouldn't speak it. And so it's just why you don't know that language. It's just, it's a, and I tell my husband cause he's white. And I was like, you know, sometimes it, I lose my identity because I don't know which way I'm supposed to go half the time. And with you, like, you know, I've come across a lot of um, Hawaiian tchotchkes that are the same way. And it's like, this is not how my family or my culture, this is not, we don't go around in grass skirts and coconut bras. Mm -hmm. Like we don't leave the house that way. Like with Hawaiian day and it's just, I've always been irritated with Hawaiian day at schools mm -hmm. and they'll dress up and I'm like, and they'll look at me and they'll be like, well, why aren't you dressed up? And I said, I am Hawaiian. Every goddamn day. This is how we dress. Yeah, I'm dressed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like this I'm is this is what we do. Yeah, we don't walk around in grass skirts and coconut bras all day long. Mm -hmm. Like so yeah, it's it's hard sometimes and yeah, like I, you it's like I don't want to destroy those things. I want to use them as education, but it at the same time people don't want to learn. They don't want to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One you know, one of my desires is to open up just to have a museum um, locally, because I, I do think some of it's around that platform. So how do you get more people to learn? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm happy that my one on one interactions with folks and, and very excited for these opportunities to expand messages and um, expound on, you know, the value that I find in doing this work. Um, but, yeah, I, I find that there's uh, there's so many things that come against what I'm trying to tell people and, and that mm -hmm. I think facilitates this notion that people don't want to learn. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I wonder about that, you know, is there ever time to do enough? You know, am I doing enough? You know, I think some of the items that I'm collecting, you know, it's been, it's been the same types of items over the years, you know, and even mm -hmm. if I walk into the local, a local store here, you know, I'll see, you know, an advertise with a black person just like, Oh, I have a 1902 posted like just like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if we only yeah. knew. <laughs> Right. You know, well, and I was going to say when you were talking about people destroying things too, what you're saying, erasing the narrative is, yeah, it does. It eliminates if it's a really, truly terrible thing, eliminates that as a part of the past and it's easily deniable. Yeah. So, yeah, I, and I, we encourage people all the time to be like, repatriate yourself or find a reputable place to donate. Yeah. 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 Can you talk about your, the most recent exhibit was the Black Hand Experience. Can you talk about that and your framework around it? Yeah, so the, um, right now, um, and it's up until April 8th, um, it's called Black Teaking Presents the Black Hand Side. Um, oh yeah, the Black Hand Side. And yeah, it, it, so the back, here's the backstory. And I have, this is my first time telling this backstory. Um, I had a very successful exhibit last year that I thought was an exhibit, a pop-up. Um, and you know, I heard some of the critiques, you know, whether or not it was muse museum quality. In fact, invited some museum folks out, you know, and some of the things that they were interested in, you know, I was in, in possibly a collaboration. I was not interested in what they wanted to pick for my collection to show because it was it was more like the minstrel music, the blackface. I'm like, that's not, that's not, my, you know, I don't do this to promote 
black people and blackface. Like it, it's it's about it's it's a combination of history and art. And so how do we talk about that? Yeah. Um, and so I was looking for. I, I decided that it was like okay. It, December came. And I was like, I need to do something in February. I want to do something for Black History Month. Went out trying to find a place here in Saginaw. Um, and, you know, the museum, our local Saginaw Art Museum, um, they asked me to come in. And, and so we exchanged some ideas. And I had gone, pr- just, just before that meeting, I had gone to um, an antique shop and I found a, um, a prayer rug. It was more like a prayer rug, um, this display um, of Mecca. Um, mm. And it had an image of the Kaaba, um, you know, um, you know, this, this squared building, like religious, um, um, att- more than attraction, you know, um, but just being very important to the Islamic, um, faith. Um, and I saw it and immediately took me back to just the movie Malcolm X, um, and just, you know, the transformational experience he had of just going to this place, um, that was very diverse. And I remember, in, you know, in the book, as well as the movie, talk about how diverse it was. But the Kaaba is this very black build, you know, black in terms of the curtain that comes down with the gold ornament. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I want to do, I want to play off that. So my next exhibit is going to be based off of this type of idea. And so I approached them. Um, and, you know, I think for the most part, they were very, very, very excited for the opportunity. Um, this was going to be the first exhibit after COVID. Um Oh. And you know, in in terms of people really coming out and really opening the museum so that people could come out, um, and so they had they weren't quite sure because they only had seen my my display, which I thought was great. A lot of people came out; people were excited about what what how it was displayed, how it was curated, um, and so I presented that you know I want this this space, uh, I want to build cube walls, and I want them to be black, and so that was the first point because most of their walls are not black. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was just like, well, what color black? And I'm like, I want the blackity black, 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 the black, <laughs> black you can find. Um, and I told them that what I wanted to do on the outside of the walls was really try to tell this history on these four walls about just in a historical experience of what it might mean on the outside to be black in the United States. So, um, you know, one wall has the picture of mass, um, Oh, I mean, before I can get there. So and I told them that the inside, I want the inside to just exude black joy. Because one of the things that was hard from the last exhibit, it was that you couldn't, it was hard to kind of walk in and out of spaces without just having this overwhelming feeling. Just like people were walking out of there just like, mm. okay, this is good, but I need some mm-hmm. time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I was like, mm-hmm. oh, and this, so I wanted to create this, this, Inside that we, you know, and um, eventually I, I met up with um, a local artist here named Naisha who really helped me to the first exhibit because she, her studio was in the same space and then she would walk in her, her space and I would just be a, and I'm amongst all these boxes, just like, God, what the fuck did I do this for? Like, why did I bring up this? <laughs> How did I think I was going to do an exhibit? I've never, and like I said, I've never done this before, but in fact, I, I, I've done this work before and I'll come back to that. Um, but, you know, we were able to, well, I told her that I wanted to bring her as well as other Black artists from Saginaw to come tell this story um, that I was trying to depict. Um, and part of that was like, you know, again, I my exhibits tend to be community curated, uh, mm-hmm. community designed. And so we were able to um, really tell that history by incorporating pieces from the, you know, from the Black Tiki Archive, my collection, um, which is, you know, again, Black 
memorabilia from salt and pepper shakers, figurines, posters, but to also other black art. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, and all the artists, I just had, I'm trying to promote black teaching. So I said, I did say that, you know, Oh, do it the whole time. The yep. majority of the walls in the museum had to have black tiki items, at least 51%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and so... I mean, it's not like you have a small collection. <laughs> I'm sure that was a doable feat. Well, and, and I also wanted to bring in more artists. I wanted to make sure there were enough artists who also got this uh, opportunity to be at the museum. Um, and so, yeah, we were able to display all the items, incorporate other pieces that people had um, throughout, um, you know, you know, one of my favorite walls on the outside is just a portrait wall of just old pictures of Black people of different, the frames of different shapes and sizes. Um, and there's some large paintings. So some you have to get up close to look at. You have to come back to look at more to get the fuller perspective. Kind of what I think, you know, human life and interaction is all about. Mm. Um, we call the inside of that space Big Mama's House. And so we did a, a play on the word big and just what do you get when you come to a Black person's Big Mama's House. And so, you know, there's sayings on the wall um, that were typical in my household as well as, you know, some of the other collectors' household, like, don't let out all my air. You know, <laughs> my grandmother always said when the, door, when the door is open, you know, <laughs> yeah. close the door, don't let out all my air. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we did, um, so Naisha took my um, great-grandmother's quilts, um, 11 of them, and had their displayed um, from the wall. Uh, I'm sorry, from the ceiling. They come down to the wall. Um, one that you know, on that display, one of the quotes is actually shaped in the continent of Africa, and then the quote next to it has all the red, whites, and blues to kind of think about the middle past wow. it and transition. Wow. In fact, if you look at the quotes, just looking up, and as I tell people, it kind of reminds me of that great migration from the South, where Black people in three different phases, you know, moved out of the South to either go north or west um, for new opportunities. And so you see when I look at those migration patterns. Um, but yeah, so the other artists have other items that are there. You know, we have a kitchenette area that has, you know, some of the, the textile items as well as, again, other people's art um, and the pieces they made. Um, there's contemporary art. There's upcycle pieces from other artists. Um, there's a section where, you know, um, we want to talk about, you know, the, the legacy of blues. And so it's called Can't Nobody Sing My Blues. And um, underneath the sign is just, blue memorabilia pieces so so blue um salt and pepper any anything in my collection that was blue is wow. in there and so you'll see items um you know like this and you know you know so anything that had blue mm-hmm. is on that wall and 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 that piece is to speak to just appropriation representation um even as you think about these items and so mm-hmm. people might think it's about blues music but it's really about who has a right to collect these items, who has the right to tell the stories. And so I know there are other people and other collectors, particularly white collectors, but I always have that reminder, like, can't nobody sing my blues. Like, they don't know the, the deepness of some of these stories, which is, you know, I think somewhat problematic for them to have them and just to parade them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we, so we really tried to play that out. You know, um, this exhibit is very close to me. And there's, you know, I try to put a number of Easter eggs in there. So whether or not it's just different times. So there's clocks in there and they're set at, you know, um, you know, at 419 or military time, 1619 to represent, uh, when, you know, when the first um, Africans were brought to, you know, um, at least to Virginia and to the United States in 1619. Um, you know, there are other pieces. So on the portrait wall, 
right center is a large painting of James Baldwin. Um, you will find other queer and Black LGBT um, individuals um, throughout. Um, and part of that's because I also maintain, um, in 2007, I started the Black LGBT Archivist Society of Philadelphia, uh, a project to, um, and this is where this whole tag first came from, to collect, preserve, and exhibit Philadelphia's Black gay history, uh, which has now evolved into Black teaching of a larger platform for collecting items. It's the umbrella of... Yeah, Kevin's greatness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's all expanding, and that I think some of that is around uh, even just my own identity. You know, I, I tell folks that the work that I was doing around LGBT and black, you know, particularly very personal to myself as a gay man, but collecting and preserving um, black LGBT history was only limited. I mean, because I didn't have my full self in there, and I always felt that way when I was doing my, uh, you know, the the um, the exhibits in Philadelphia, like. It's not telling the full historical picture like of, and so with this exhibit, I've tried to incorporate, you know, just a fullness of myself. And so you see mm. the exhibits that Kevin did in 2012 to 10 years later in 2022, where I'm excited where you see a more fullness of me and have that interwoven just, so whether or not it's James Baldwin and his legacy or Alice Walker mm-hmm. or just other, you know, um, folks that are displayed and displayed there, you know, it's amazing. Then there's also my own artwork there. There's, you know, my family. There's other um, queer artists, Black queer artists um, from around the country because I'm a collector of Black queer art um, and support a number of different artists. So I've been able to put their works there. Um, and I think that's, and so most people don't know that about this collection because most people don't ask those. I try to get them to want to know about those pieces because I think yeah, what I'm hoping is that folks will come and folks came, you know, who might identify as, um, LGBT or in any kind of way um, of different and uh, in, in, in different or identifying very much differently than possibly many of their friends or their family members, but seeing us a part of themselves in this collection. Um, so whether or not it's around sexual orientation, race, uh, you know, ability status or whatever, I'm hoping that people will um, lock in and, and find a piece mm-hmm. of themselves there as I've been able to put up some of myself in the exhibit. It's truly a remarkable exhibit. And I've only, obviously I'm in Idaho, so I haven't seen it, but watching the promotion of that event before it came to fruition and then your opening night and the reception that was had, I was like, I didn't even know you. And I was just so proud of this beautiful exhibit you had curated. And I love that in the middle is like that sanctuary, right? To like step inside, sit, there's a beautiful table and chairs, like to sit and take it all in. And let your mind wander through the 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 breadth of it, because yeah. it's heavy, right? There's heavy parts and beautiful parts and delightful parts and joyful parts, and it's truly well, exceptional. yeah. I think it just shows the whole like wholeness of life. Period. Mm-hmm. Like you can't go through your life without joy, and you can't go without fear, mm-hmm. and you know all this other stuff. And just the fact that you have been able to gather it into one area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's remarkable. Most um, curators can't do that. They mm-hmm. can only show one facet of an emotion. They don't know how to bring it all in. And it also just, it humbles. Mm-hmm. It's very humbling to, you know, to be able to be around that. I'm going to get teary-eyed, guys. It's not. <gasps> this is a new for the mothball <laughs> prophecies. But it's just so amazing to be able to be around that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wish we had that here. Mm-hmm. I know you're not a toucher, but I'm going to pat your leg because I'm a mom. 
No, thank yeah. you. Jill's not a crier at all. Good job, I know. Kevin. Yeah, you did it, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I've cried a lot over I this think- exhibit, and I, I, I tell folks, like, I, I never cried over these pieces. You know, even when, even, you know, I think the only time I cried over these pieces when people as a kid would call me Sambo or call me something derogatory. And I think I've gone a long way um, trying to build armor to not have an emotional attachment to these, these pieces. And so now just being at a place where even I can allow myself to be honest about what these pieces mean to me and how hurtful some of them are. And even when I see them, um, but you know, if I'm in an antique shop um, and I see the items, I have to get them. I, I was a I have a twin brother. So people say, well, you're never lonely. But as a kid, you know, even twins get lonely. Mom, keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, they do. <laughs> I, I know. I know. <laughs> um, but to see these pieces and I, you know, or I see one black dowel in the midst of all white dowels. It's like, well, where's our friends? Mm-hmm. I did not say that she can't be friends with white dowels. Not- I mean, I get it. It's fine. You yeah, don't have to say that because I'm here. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But for some of the antiques, I, I and I made this joke, but it's like the only time you see more than one black down is during Black History Month, or unless that you know, <laughs> unless that vendor. And so I, I try to get them. Or if I see a, if I go to an antique shop and there's a white string around the neck of these pieces, I have to get it immediately. I think of lynching. I think of the legacy of lynchings mm-hmm. when I I see the pieces and 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 it becomes hard. It becomes difficult, but it's well worth it to be able to have the conversations with people and then to have them say when they see these pieces, Oh, here, Kevin, I, I saw this piece and I think you might want to know about this, or I told this person, you shouldn't have it in this reason. I shared this article with them. And then I can feel, I feel better, you know, mm-hmm. that there's, there's a, the opportunity for that exchange. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I remember when I first stumbled across your Instagram and saw the basis of your collection, I thought, Holy shit, that has to be so fucking hard to do all the time. You know, I haven't posted in a while. Yeah. It, it's been different. I, I, and obviously I can't speak to it, but I was just like, I see it and I'm like, fuck, to go out and look at that and see it. And then the experiences you're having with the people that are selling those things. Yeah. Son of a bitch, man. Like, I think one of the- this powerful. The, the, the experience that made me cry. Um, I was at an antique shop, and and I'd gone there a few different times. And you know, there was a woman there who said, "So there's something I want." She's like, I, "I want you to see something, but I'm afraid that you might be one of the people that buys these items and destroys them." And she had this photo album of. Um, I'm holding up a photo album. And inside, it's snapshots of Florida, 1939, where a family, um, they left Saginaw on February 6th and arrived in Miami, according to this front document, where they talked about all the different stops they took. I mean, they made and the date and the time, Yeah, you know, and, and, and they took photographs along the way. And so she said she wanted me. She, and so there was this image, one of a few different images in here. I don't know if you can see this, but let's see. Young black girl. Let's tilt it back just a little bit. Yeah, we can kind of see it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'll send a picture of it. Um, okay. You know, but the inscription is Georgia, um, Georgia niggers and Shaq. Um, and then there's other pictures where, you know, there's, um, you know, just another photo album she shared, you know, where a family at Philadelphia um, 
where they went to go visit the Klan and just records their experience of going to visit the Ku Klux Klan and going to the parade mm. and, and the men getting in, the, the father and the two sons getting in the Klan, you know, you know, outfits. Um, mm-hmm. So that that photo album belonged to a white family traveling yeah. and doing like racial tourism, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there were other pictures. You know, they went fishing, mm-hmm. they went swimming. You know, they had family mm-hmm. other. It, 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 you know, it seemed like the, for this photo album, the Klan rally was like them going to, to walk, you know, to Disney World, and this is what they were doing. You know, mm-hmm. the experience made me cry, and that's where I, I, I came to the point around. Wait, so they're black? I, I couldn't even get my head around this notion that they're black people that destroy these items. So there's a museum here, um, and um, and the museum at Ferris State University, um, they provide a number of similar items and they display them and he's done an excellent job curating this, this piece. You know, but he also has one of those stories of when he first walked in as a kid and saw this ancient mama piece at the, at the flea market, he destroyed it immediately. Um, mm. And so, you know, I, I think about those experiences. I think about just how we connect to these items, how we protect them. Um, and just think how complicated it is, you know, even for the, the even for the white woman at the antique shop, the, the, to look at me and just now when I go there, like it's hard to, you know, that if I walk in, I'm typically gonna, I'm not, I'm not rich, but I am spending, I am spending money and I'm buying, I, I'm, if I walk out there with less than 10 pieces, something's wrong either. <laughs> even to the point where I call people, I'm like, there's so, they only have black stuff here. Um, <laughs> and I always leave those just upset. Just like, I'm not going back here anymore. You don't have anything, <laughs> you have anything I want. <laughs> Bye. Right, it's like nothing, nothing celebratory, nothing. It's like nothing, like nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, nothing. In, what do you? But, like, I know I haven't bought it all. Right, like, here's my when, number. Call me when it gets interesting. Oh, that's why I get business cards. But so, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> and they call, and so I've developed these friendships. But you know, it's been it's it it, it, it does make me sad to know that these sometimes these items do get destroyed, and that you know mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to collect them, but yeah, the whole market, the price of these items right now. And what people are trying to do with them, um, I think the world is presenting me with an opportunity to stop to stop buying, and that's where I'm heading towards um, taking. A, um, and so you're hearing it here first, um, but I am taking. I, I've decided that I want to take a, a break from buying, mm. uh, at least in the traditional places where I've been buying, because they've also, I think, prices in the area have gone up. I've noticed, and I know they're, that inflation yeah, they're is profiting up. off of the sensationalism around critical race theory and all you know just basic fucking history and going look at our hit it's i don't have to explain to you obviously but it's horseshit yeah and 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 i and i understand and i I think some of it is also i I don't think i'm the the cause of it but i i do think that i'm advertising antique shops in a particular way around these items that saying it's okay to go and get these items i want people to really go in and get them but I was also hoping is that antique shops would do more to provide context, that they would do more to um, help people in their understanding of what these items can be, uh, particularly they're going to have them uh, and not just dismiss them as cute or whimsical. I even prefer them mm-hmm. to just put a sign that says some of these items may be offensive. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I, w- I, would even pre- I would even prefer that they have some level of consciousness about these items. Um, mm-hmm. But... They don't. And so I'm going to slow down at my, cause I, I am an activist, you know, and, and, and there's just something about, you know, 
capitalism, consumption, that at the rate I'm going, I'm not helping a cause. Um, I'm, I, I feel sometimes like I'm setting the cause back by, by not working more intensely on having an exhibit, by not putting my social media out there. I have so much stuff I just need to catalog and even get out there. So it's like, I'm just going to slow down um, mm-hmm. and, and try to sit with the collection that I have. But it's hard. And I, and I guarantee you, as soon as I get off here, I am watching an antique shop because I have a 50% off. And I want to go see. Like, <laughs> and I, it's my birthday and you're obligated yes. to go antiquing on my birthday. And I, I'm going. I, uh, yes, I am going okay. on your birthday. That's the reason I'm going because it's your birthday. And I didn't want to go. And I was like, damn, it's Samantha's birthday. I know. Yeah, now you have and to. And I it's, said, Jill, yeah. before I said, if Kevin doesn't go out after this antiquing, my birthday's literally ruined. <laughs> ruined i'm not antiquing because nothing's i know we can't antique today so that in my honor you have to go find either a piece of uranium glass or a stupid little idiot that's what we call like dumb like this stupid idiot that i got from my grandma's house it's a rabbit fur felt creature i don't know what do you call it kev i have no idea but i just learned about this cutie okay this little so what are they i don't think i've ever seen Uh, my mom knew that it's a wuzzles or some shit i don't know look okay My, um, I've never seen them. <laughs> I've never seen them either. <laughs> so they're super rare, and I priced you guys out of them for free. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to go look for Wuzzle. But my, my brother, um, uh, my stepbrother has been uh, one of the good things that I love about black teaking or, you know, being black and going and teaking um, is that my family, they're now just so interested. In, and I didn't even know they go, they go to antique shops. So one of my stepbrother, um, he just sent me this picture of some uranium glass that he's, that that's what he's collecting and so yeah so i've been i'm told like i need i knew nothing about your random glass so i'm just like you don't look black to me pull up a chair we got time (laughs) i'll tell you all about it because i have a bad habit of researching shit to death (laughs) to death well well i I definitely understand because that's what you have to do You don't have to get a fancy black light. My black light that I would go for a long time was just from like Harbor Freight, yeah. just like an automotive or even like uh, big box stores. Like if you live in a place that's their scorpions, I don't, so I don't have to fucking worry about it. They have <laughs> lights that are UV that will pick up. Now there's certain intensities that will pick up different types, but I, we also have keychains from Amazon that we bought a pack of 14 for like 10 bucks. Oh, wow. And they're not as loud. They're a little more incognito because <laughs> the other one's like click, 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 click. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Right. Don't look over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's this? Nothing. Crime scene. Get out of here. <laughs> Making sure these sheets are fine. <laughs> so before I, first of all, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and I'm going to ruin it now with the estate sale walkthrough, which is Jill's favorite part. Um, now I made it pretty uh, simple today because I was not going to make myself <laughs> choose between antiques that you collect. Kevin, I love you, but I'm not doing it. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I did troll your personal Instagram and found some things maybe that would pique your interest. Okay. But before we get into that, will you tell our listeners where they can find you online or in person? Yes. So I am in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, that's S-A-G-I-N-A-W. Stevie Wonder was born here. Uh, Serena and Venus Williams once lived here. Serena, um, yep. So, so, you know, we, we have a great in Saginaw. If you're in the Great Lakes Bay region of Michigan, come check us out. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that's coming up for um, the summer, including um, Juneteenth. And so if you go to the Instagram page of Black Teaking, you will find more information in the coming weeks. 
Uh, Black Tiking is spelled B-L-A-C-T-I-Q-U-I-N-G. There is no K in Black Tiking. B-L-A-C-T-I-Q-U-I-N-G. Black mm-hmm. and Antiquing. And of course, we will have all of that linked on our website as well as our social medias in ways that you can engage with Kevin and his work. So please do look those up. You're listening on your cell phone. Do it right now. Go. We'll wait. <laughs> okay, you're back. So today, the Estates I Walk Through is a curation of items from favorite things either I've seen in your social media, we said in your questionnaire, any of those things. Each scenario will have two to three items to choose from. The only hang-up is you can only pick one. Okay. If you think it's your favorite, your favorite color, your favorite this, that, the other, it's definitely that. Money is not an issue. Space is not an issue. Everything's in perfect condition, right? This is imaginary. Everything's what we want it to be. Monopoly money. It is. It's fake. Of course, I'm going to want to buy whatever it is. Like, I'm already excited. So anytime someone tells me, like, estate sale, I'm like, I'm coming. Yeah. I got my bag. Let's go. It's it's bad. It's so, like, ooh. She's almost died a couple times from this game. I ask harder questions when Jill's not in the basement with me because I'm scared of her. <laughs> Y'all think that I'm the scary one. Jill's the, I'm the uh, chihuahua at the front door and Jill is the pit bull just sitting on the couch eyeing <laughs> you up. I'm yeah. loud and bouncing and like trying to deter you and she's just like, what's up? <laughs> Come on in. See, how are you? All right. So today we're just stomping around a flea market, right? Some of the best places to find the best things. We got our comfy shoes on, practical, stylish. We got our bags. We're hydrated. Coffee. We didn't go too hard the night before, and we're ready to go. Let's go. (laughs) All right. The first table we come up to, we notice a couple of different pieces of lighting on the table. There are wall sconces, and this pair is Art Nouveau, and they are detailed beautifully with whatever details you like. (laughs) The other pair are wall-mounted industrial brass folding lamps. Kevin, we'll go with you as our guest. Which pair of lights are you choosing first? I'm actually going with the folding lights, the brass folding. Detroit. I love the architect <laughs> in Detroit and old homes. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so, so, but also I like metals. I like brass look, especially against a wood finish. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also um, some of the items I collect, um, you know, there are some brass and just some cast iron pieces that I absolutely love. So whether or not it's, it's um, more Black Americana or, um, you know, just African carved mass and pieces. And so I just mm-hmm. think it would go well together in terms of, of me thinking about displaying a room with just different masks that are wood as well as my brass mass. Um, yeah. I think that that could um, set each other off. And to well. have the lights to be your, yeah, show light and be able to put it wherever you need yeah. to be. And yeah, and that's a, that's a good choice. Decorative. I can, I can, I can expand them. I can, I can play with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a good choice. We'll allow it. I like things that move. I, I need yeah. movement. I need. I know. I do too. I break stuff. So if it's just there, I'm like, <laughs> why are you just there? Why won't you tell you? Mm-hmm. And then everybody mm-hmm. be like, I told you. Yeah. I told you. Told you. You should have moved. Oh, I was going to go Art Nouveau, but then you went all industrial folding. So I'm going to go with those. I guess all three of us are going to fist fight over the lamps because <laughs> I'm also going for the industrial. I love industrial folding lamps. I know. I bought one at a state sale that I don't even, I don't know if it works. I don't know how to mount it, but I'm like, it was like a dollar. Yeah. So mine. Yeah. You couldn't not buy that. <laughs> couldn't not. That's my problem. All right. <laughs> next, we have a booth with vintage pocket squares and handkerchiefs, but we're looking at the pocket squares. Do you choose the vintage Gucci pocket square lot or 
the Hermes silk pocket square. Hermes. 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 <laughs> so cool. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we found the weakness. If, listen, take your note. Hermes is where it's at for Kevin. Yeah, I really do. I, I really li- I like Gucci. I actually really like Gucci um, for a number of reasons. And I think Gucci has the best glasses. Um, I was disappointed with Gucci with the mask and the red lip mm. on the mask. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I talk about that in my exhibits in terms of when we think about some of the imagery and how fashion. And so, sorry, Gucci. Mm-hmm. Gucci, you're out. <laughs> Just, you're it. But I, Ruined it. But however, Gucci, if you want to send endorsements, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. blame you. Mm-hmm. Totally endorse Kevin, guys. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah, Gucci. They're big listeners. <laughs> However, I'm also going to go Hermes. Okay, yeah, me too. That I like, okay, the, I like Gucci, I like Chanel. Structurally is a fashion house, right? What they've added to the industry. Yeah. I cannot get behind the fucking letters on everything. I just, like, when I saw people carrying around, like, the coach bags with just the C's everywhere, I was like, okay, we get it. You bought a coach bag. Great. It's just, that's my own personal <laughs> thing. Ooh, we brought up some yeah, light. You guys uncovered some <laughs> darkness there, okay? Same with the Louis Vuitton. I just don't like the letters on everything. I hear you. Now, the Gucci belt, the double G Gucci belt, like, iconic. But, okay, this is not a fashion <laughs> podcast. We're not. <laughs> now I know what not to get you for your birthday. Yeah, kick it, drop kick it across the street. All right, the last booth. We have a photo collection. I love photos and ephemera. But it is particularly black artists. Do you choose the collection of Marian Anderson? And these are all like performing or candids, things like that. Marian Anderson, Billy Holiday, or Thelonious Monk? Billy, Billy Holiday. Um, growing up, my grandmother loved Billy Holiday. Um, and, you know, she always told us, God bless a child that has their own, has got his own. And that's what she said about everything. And that was around mm. self sufficiency, about, you know, being able to not have to beg and borrow from people and so the other piece of that was um you know my girl love diana ross and lady sings the blues and mahogany and so anything that kind of re- re- remind us of billy holiday in that moment and mm-hmm. and you know lady day like it's yeah she i think she would that she's just someone that i would have wanted to meet because i feel like my grandmother would have wanted to party with her like i just feel like my oh, grandma yeah. wanted to party with her and i'm mm-hmm. like i would have wanted to party with her too but a number of reasons um your grandma would have brought all the best drinks she had she would have she would have fried the best chicken she would have mm-hmm. you know she would have talked to her about cocaine and, and prayed <laughs> with her like she they would have done a whole bunch of different with no judgment Mm-hmm. Like, no, just, done. Uh, they would have had the best time. Would have had the best time because that's just what would have been what it was. And um, mm-hmm. and then they would make good music, and my grandmother would have been dancing, and she probably would have fell because she was drinking too much crown. And it just would have been a good time. So, mm-hmm. so, I, so definitely, it would. I would flip through the photos and just think, if my grandmother was there, I wonder what she would be doing. Hmm. They probably parting it up right now. I I, I, I do believe so. And then just real quick, I would have to flip through the Mary Anderson because I, you know, my days have lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and just you know her legacy just around the world, but also in the city of Philadelphia. She cared about the city of Philadelphia, and she is one of the people that when I think about what it means to be a celebrity and how mm-hmm. to also have a, a local relevancy, you know, Mary Anderson mm-hmm. definitely fits that iconic role as well. 
But Billie Holiday is mm-hmm. an icon on an icon on, on top of an icon. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we none of us can ever go to a flea market together at all. Because no, I was just thinking we're Billie never Holiday. going to actually go together yeah. because uh-huh. we'd be fighting. She's one of my favorites. I, I listen to her, her all the time. Yeah. Dance her songs at my weddings. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad and I danced to Sam Cooke at my wedding. Was it Sam Cooke? No. You should know, Jill. You weren't there. <laughs> Go ahead. What were you going to say, Kevin? What was I going to say? Um, I think someone should do a podcast or a guide for going to antique shops with a friend or a plus one. Because mm. mm-hmm. I've almost lost friendships over this. It's like, you know, that's what I collect. Why are you even here trying to collect what I collect? Mm-hmm. See, we do not collect the same thing. That's why it's safe. That you've got to have a buddy that doesn't can mm-hmm. like the complete opposite mm-hmm. of what you like. Yeah. Which is why Melissa and I can't go because I'll go in front of her and she goes, "You keep finding fucking everything before me. I'm walking in front." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "Well, that's bullshit. <laughs> I want to find it too." <laughs> Stop. I have a friend who yeah. collects clowns, so I'm like, hey, "You look at the clowns and the Yadro pieces, and I'll go look at the black." <laughs> That's funny you say Yadro, right? My grandma was like the quintessential uh, old white lady collector, and she had Yadros and Lennox and Wedgwood and Cut Crystal. There was like five pieces of Yadro in her house, and I just took one. I have um, at least four of the black, of the Yadro black depicted pieces, which mm-hmm. are my favorite. So that's what I look for. So I'm like, if you want like that Yadro piece with the face <laughs> of the person in the figurine. <laughs> I think that goes home with me. I think you found that for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> thank you for spying that. Yeah. I appreciate it. But they're so beautiful because well, those are my favorite colors. Okay, I'm sorry. Done. Bye. No, no. <laughs> no, you're fine. No, you're, I was, continue, please. Continue. No. I, I think it's an antique shop. <laughs> yeah. No. But you do. You have to have people that you go with that maybe don't collect the same shit. Or it's like, we're splitting up and I'll fucking see you for lunch. Right. Right. And it's a race. Yeah, it's like supermarket sweet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just bought the yeah. um the Facebook glasses yesterday. I'm gonna start. What the hell are those? So they they just have a camera, they record 30 second videos. Uh, uh, they can take pictures. Because I'm often doing like like I love antique roadshow, but I want to have like a black teaching roadshow. <laughs> ooh. Yeah. You heard it here first. Anybody takes that, I'll fight you. Yes. And actually, that in all fairness, I was on a call recently with someone from Antique Roadshop. Well, Antique Roadshop, and it sounds like they are trying to do something very similar to that. I'm not sure where they got the idea from, but I know I've been talking about it for a while. So I'm just saying what I'm saying. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> so I'm just mm-hmm. The eyebrows. <laughs> I'm just saying. What I see. I'm just, yeah, just mentioning a few things. But I'm excited about what they're doing. And, you know, I think great ideas kind of flourish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're, um, but yes, I'm, I want to just do a better job of at least documenting the experience and just even for my own personal mm-hmm. collection. So that's some of the stuff I'm going to start launching as we um, start a kick. When I say we, I'm really talking about me. I'm trying to start get a group. Um, but I'm trying to get more of a formal group to start a um, nonprofit that will support the museum piece of this. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's what I'm working on now here in Saginaw and some of the videos will kind of feed into uh, mm-hmm. the promotions for that. I love that. That's perfect. I have to talk to you about something when we're done recording, but we have to have you back on again. You have to come back. I would love to. Delightful. 
Yeah, this is great. And you made Jill cry, so you get the Oscar yeah. of the mothball prophecies because I have only seen Jill cry one time and we've been we've known each other for seven years. So yeah, if she cries, yeah. I'm like, oh shit. So uh, hats off. I cry to all you, the time. Kevin. I cry all the time, literally. Well, so thank you all for the opportunity. And I, I, I hope I can come back. I would love to. Um, you know, yeah. I always say strangers are just friends I haven't met yet. So I'm glad I finally met my friends. Um, so thank you, Samantha and Joe. I really appreciate it. And we can't wait to come to Michigan because I want to see where my family's original uh, piece of property is. So please, please I would love yeah. I, We've got a lot of things to do in Michigan. We got to go. We got to go to the Great Lakes. We're coming like uh, dumb and dumber on yeah. the scooter. Jill drives everywhere. I don't drive. All right. To hear even more about the items we talk about today with Kevin in a brief Curio Corner, stick around for this week's Curio Corner. Um, the first thing I want to say out of my mouth is thank you, Jill, um, for sharing so candidly on this episode. Oh, I forgot all about that. Thanks for, Sorry. Thanks, thanks for reminding me. No, I mean, yeah, that's like one of those things that gets me heated. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know there's a lot of people in my circumstances, too, where it's like, you know, you're you you're obviously you look in the mirror, you're not completely white. So it's like, OK, well, but then it's like you're not white enough for the white kids and you're not tan enough for the tan kids. And it's just like, I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's yeah, it's it's one of the things I've struggled for most of my life. Where, um, you know, I try, and then it's like funny. Cause like when I did go to Hawaii, it was just like, oh yeah, I'm home. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get it. Like, and no, I just want people to know they're not the only ones out there struggling, literally struggling with your identity mm-hmm. because it's like, we, you know, we don't speak the, uh, another language, but yet we don't fit. Yeah. It's just. It's something I've struggled with for so long. And I just hope my kids don't struggle. Like I try to instill that sense that, yes, you are white, but you are also, you know, Hawaiian Filipino. We do have ancestors from the Philippines and all that kind of stuff. And I do want to do one of those DNA tests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he, look, he looks out for me, guys. This is where I keep him. And he's like, you know, if you do that, that's fine. But if you were ever to turn to a life of crime, they literally have your DNA on file. They do. That's how they caught the Night Stalker. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, I don't want to ruin future Jill's future. Crime spree? I want to give future Jill the option Uh if she wants to do that or not. I don't want to ruin it for her. (laughs) I mean. I support this. Jill's late in life crime spree. And I know. I mean, yeah, things are getting expensive, guys. I well, and you're a nurse, so thanks. You got that covered. <laughs> thanks for that. If we ever need medical in the apocalypse, I appreciate it. Here for you. Yeah, I was. I will admit, incredibly nervous to have this conversation because. You were. And because it's not my conversation, it's not my 
place to start or add to or say or commiserate or it's just my job to listen. Yeah. And I want to hand it to you. You did a fabulous job. You don't thank you, but you don't have to do that. But thank you. I do. I do. Because most people, I mean, they do get uncomfortable with these conversations and they don't want to have them. And like he said, you know, not talking about these, you're literally erasing our history. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I, you, you did an amazing job like you always do. Thank you. And I, you know, um, the, the thing I've learned about this journey of learning just about what my privilege is, right. Even if I had a hard upbringing and things and all of that, like never, my skin color was never a factor in it. Mm-hmm. And I think people get that misconstrued with you can still struggle and your life can still be super fucked up, but nobody's looking at you and um, thinking something immediately about you because of your skin color and growing up in an incredibly sheltered and super white place. Um, I was late to the table and learning what I should have known from the beginning. And I, for a long time wanted to have this conversation because it is a problem in the world of antiques. Right. Mm -hmm. And I say problem as the nuanced word of what it is. Right. There are some people that do donate these things and put them where they should be with the people they should be with. Mm -hmm. And then there are also people that capitalize off of them and it's shameful, shameful. I saw on Facebook, somebody selling, a record of a slave being sold in an auction. And I was appalled and people were appalled in the comments and it just riled that seller up even more about how much he was going to make. And I thought if the irony is fucking lost on you in that situation, there is no help for you. No. And unfortunately that's the reality that we have to face that some people just will never change. Mm-mm. It's no a matter- lot easier to be ignorant than to admit you're wrong. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to know their ancestors may have a part in all this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but these are also very important items to be aware of. I mean, for as many people who do collect these and do capitalize on it, there is the same amount of people or even more. Mm-hmm bringing awareness to why these are things that you should not own. You should not sell. Mm-hmm. You should donate to the proper places. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like nowadays more people are speaking up for that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that's, I mean, that's one of the things I love about this community because they will speak up and they will make sure you're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not um, solely Black Americana or Black racist. No, no. There are um, East Indian. There are a wide swath of Asian antiques that are sold that are caricatures. Um, There are Nazi memorabilia that is still openly sold and traded. And it's those things of... The interest to own it because of the history is innocent enough. It's like, you know, but that is where the line is drawn. 
You know, like I say in the episode, bringing those things into your home with the intention of teaching people that you know you're not going to disagree with is like a straw man argument to own problematic stuff. And if you've listened this far into the show and not realized where the two of us align, <laughs> I'm, uh, I would like to say thank you for your continued, uh, what do you say? I don't know. But it's, uh, that has been from the beginning of this podcast, our like code of ethics, if you will. Would you say that, Jill? Yeah, I'd say that. If you think I just Google antiques, that's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I try to find out to make sure that we don't introduce people onto this platform that collect these things. No, we do go into, um, well, me, I do nothing. I just show up and talk. You're the people. You're, you're the muscle. That's what I need you here for. <laughs> no, Sam, I mean, really does do her research. And even like if I find somebody on Instagram or really like, hey, this person does this, you know, look into them. And I mean, she will. And the, I mean, when you do the estate sale walkthroughs, you literally picking things off from their Instagram or their Facebook or I mean, I won't reveal all my secrets, but if you have shared the things you like on the internet, I will probably find it. And, and she'll use it against you. And that is, that is, was a conscious effort from the beginning of the show. Yeah. And like we've said, like we said in the episode, I mean, we both were in interested in talking into that one person and, and then it was almost, you could tell it was just, she was trying to see what kind of people we were. I mean, there's no, there's no other reason for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause if anything, she, if she would have shown that and then we'd be like, Ooh, that's interesting. She'd be like, okay. I just want to make sure you guys are aware that this is not right. Like this is not my stuff. This is just where I want to see where you're at. But no, mm-hmm. it was just like, yeah, it's mine. Like, because the interesting thing about that person is she shares her oddities collection openly. Yeah. But not that part. And what does that say? Well, yeah, and I know it's mm-hmm. it's just it's one of those things that unfortunately we just have to keep on top of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, um, I don't think behind the chair I've ever been so outspoken about things like this, and um, I now use it as if I lose a client over challenging like their beliefs on thinking that specifically racist ideology is an okay thing to keep up with then that's fine i don't want your money well yeah but it's um we will have a dedicated page on the mothball prophecies website with resources where to take the items that you find that are either racist they belong to indigenous peoples they belonged to another culture um all of those things that we come across in this world of curiosities, right? And we are going to put together and continually work on putting together a resource list that you can reference, your friends can reference, you can share it, you can do whatever. And we will also have Kevin be a part of that with us. Yeah. Um, because it is important. It's a conversation that should be happening and continued to happen. Um, if you have any questions or things that you don't feel comfortable asking your friends about, your family about, please feel free to reach out to us on um, our DM on Instagram. But we will not tolerate any conversation in justifying 
the keeping of this if you were not a part of that uh, world. Very much. Yeah. I'll have a conversation with you about it, but I won't condone it. And yeah. So um, I hope that y'all share this episode with your friends and your family um, and have them listen to the perspective they should be listening to if they're going to have these things. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's all for this week's Curio Corner. Kevin covered it all for us. He is incredible. His activism goes much farther than what he's currently doing. I encourage all of you to follow his Instagram, Google him and read the articles that have been written about him. He is Mm -hmm. an incredible person with the fortitude of, I can't even fathom to stand in this and shout the story out loud. Yeah. So as always, I hope you don't buy any racist shit. And if you do, I hope you're taking it to the proper area that needs to go to. That's right. We love you. Love you so much. We gotta go. Bye. Bye.